Hello, Longview Point. If you will, take your Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 9, and we're going to finish out the book today. But before we do that, I just want to tell you, I had such a great time this past Sunday with our worship outside, getting to celebrate as nine people were baptized, entering into that newness of life. And I can't wait for this Sunday as we get to be back in the building with Youth Connect groups and also next Wednesday night as we're going to start having youth worship again. It is just so good to be coming out of, of all of this and being able to come together and worship the Lord. I've missed that time together and we will continue to record these sermons for everyone on Wednesday night as we uh, go into some new studies. But being able to worship together on Wednesday with the youth is going to be a great encouragement. Hopefully you are there in Micah 6, 9. I'm, I have a lot to cover tonight, and so I want to jump right into it. We're going to cover it in sections because it really breaks down quite clearly uh, on how Micah is making his points throughout this, and there's some, some really important and good stuff for us here. So we talked about Micah 6, 8, that all-important verse, the, the climax of this entire book last week. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Well, it goes back into the, the sin of Israel, the sin of Judah is where it goes right after that because they have not been living that verse out. Look at this. Verse 9. The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? Your rich men are full of violence. Your inhabitants speak lies and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore, I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat but not be satisfied and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. For you have kept the statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab, and you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants a hissing so that you shall bear the scorn of my people. Woe is me, for I have become as when the summer fruit has been gathered, as when the grapes have been gleaned. There is no cluster to eat, no first ripe fig that my soul desires. The godly shall per has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among mankind. They all lie and wait for blood, and each hunts the other with a net." Their hands are on what is evil to do it well. The prince and the judge ask for a bribe, and the great man utters the evil desire of his soul. Thus they weave it together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright of them a thorn hedge. The day of your watchman of your punishment has come. Now their confusion is at hand. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your heart from her who lies in your arms. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. 
That is a lot of verses. That's a lot of imagery there. We're going to look into that with some depth. And, and honestly, those are really heavy verses. You hear the, the consequences of their sin. You hear the way that there is judgment. That The king that we've been talking about these last few weeks, he is the one reigning over the judgment of his people because they have rebelled against him. And it lists that rebellion. It lists the sin that is in their hearts and in their lives. That's what the rest of chapter 6 is about, is the way that they have rebelled against their king, their heavenly king. And then 7 is a lament. How Micah is pouring his heart out because he sees the sin in his life. He sees the sin in the life of the people around him, and he longs for a different day. So as we look at Micah 6 through 9, it is or 6, 9 and on through the rest of that chapter, he is describing the sin of the people. We so often compartmentalize our life where, where Christ is important for when we gather together and worship. Christ is important when we have our quiet times alone with him. But yet here he is concerned with the way that they are even working. The everyday monotonous things of life, the things that we do on a constant basis, we ought to be doing these things with Excellence. We ought to be doing these things with integrity. We ought to be pursuing His glory through the things that we're doing, whether that's school or whether that's a job or whatever it may be. But here He is calling out the people, the men with wicked skills, the, the ones who are taking advantage of the poor, the ones who are seeking after their own gain, the ones with a bag of deceitful weights. Think about that. If you're paying somebody for their product, if you're paying somebody for a, a certain amount of weight of something, maybe it's fruit at the grocery store, maybe it's vegetables, those kind of things, and yet the weights are heavy so that they're charging you more, but you're getting less, then that business practice last, lacks integrity. And that's what they were doing here. They were seeking the greatest profit, no matter what it cost the people around them. They weren't seeking to be full of integrity and representatives of God in the way that they worked. And so students, so many times we like to put off and we like to, to not do our best on things and just do enough to get by. But yet he has called us to be incredible workers him. Whatever it is that he has given us the responsibility of doing, we want to make sure that we are doing that well and that we're representing him well in the things that we do. The other thing that he points out here is that they were deceptive. It talks about the wicked scales and the deceitful weights, and it talks about the rich men are full of violence. That's a lawlessness is another way of putting that there. But then it says, your inhabitants speak lies. You know, and it says, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. As a parent, we see that at such an early age, don't we? As a parent, I've even seen my three-year-old start to lie because he's seeking his own good. There was a story, this I think just happened yesterday even, where he had gotten in trouble. He had pulled a blanket down after he'd been told not to do it. And we saw him do it. And so we confront him on it. We say, hey, Naaman, did you pull the blanket down? And he looks with these big sad eyes and just looks at you and says, no. And you ask him again, he said, Naaman, did you pull the blanket down? No. 
And we say, Naaman, I don't want you to lie to me. I need you to tell me the truth. Did you pull the blanket down? No. You see, we so often want to lie for our own gain, but yet there are consequences for even the simplest of lies. Even the smallest of lies lead us into greater sin. We want to be honest. We want to be truthful. We want to be representatives of Christ. And we want to train that in our kids. We want them to know that that our God is a God of truth. And if we are to be His children, then we want to be people of truth. And so these people in Micah 6, they are corrupt. They are sinful. They are rebelling against what God has for them. And you would think that as they are pursuing all of this personal gain, because that's, that's what they're doing here. They're, they're weighing things to get better stuff for themselves, to make a better profit, to do something more for themselves. And you would think that as they're doing that, that they would be satisfied. But that's not what Micah tells us. The prophet is very, very clear here. At verse 14 and 15, he tells us, You shall eat but not be satisfied, and there shall be hunger within you. You shall put away, but not preserve, and what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow, but not reap. You shall tread olives, but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes, but not drink wine. You see, they are going to toll. They are going to work extremely hard. They are going to do everything that they can to to have a greatest profit possible, yet it's never going to satisfy them. You see, that is what sin does to us. Sin, as we pursue after it, as we practice the sinful habits that that we're talking about here, as we live that out, it's going to constantly leave you wanting more. But it leads down a path of destruction. It leads down a path that you will never be satisfied. You always want the next thing. You always are putting that idol up, wanting it more and more. And all it does is lead to destruction. As you continue on reading in Micah chapter 7, verses 5 and 6, the sin of the people has made it to where they can't even trust anyone. It is deteriorating. It is breaking down the relationships that they have around them. You look at verses five and six. Put no trust in a neighbor. Have no confidence in a friend. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your arms, the one that you love. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. You see, sin, while it may make you think that it is going to satisfy, why it may make you think that you are going to have everything that you need because you are pursuing after that and you've grabbed a hold of it, all it does is leave you feeling empty and it leaves you with the destruction of your relationships as well. We all know examples of that. And it's easy to look at at other people and see how their sin has been destructive in their lives. But we can't just look at other people. We need to look at our own hearts. We need to look at the way that we have lived our life, the sin in our life. It needs to be that same um, 
lament in our own sin as it is in the sins of others, if not more so in ourself. As you look at the sins, we realize that Micah enters into a lament. Okay? And what that means is that he is passionately going before God, confessing that sin before him, and, and wanting God to intercede on his behalf. We don't talk about laments all that much, especially in American Christianity. In American Christianity, we like to pe people to feel comfortable a lot of times. We want them to be happy. You know, we play upbeat songs. We want them to leave and with a smile on their face. But as you look at biblical Christianity, there is a healthy lament of the mourning of the sin in our life. When we realize how we have fallen short of the glory of God, when we look and evaluate ourselves and, and see that we are rebellious and guilty, and yet we need to go to God with those things. As you look at the Bible, look at the, the prayer book of the Bible, the book of Psalms, over a third of the book of Psalms are Psalms of Lament. They're songs, psalms of mourning, prayers to God, lifting up in anguish even because of what is going on around them. You know, sin really leads us to, to two conclusions. The first conclusion is that it, it leads us farther away from God. It drives us from Him. I think about Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Here they are. They've had this perfect relationship with God the Father. They've walked with Him in the garden. Just a perfect, beautiful relationship with God. What incredible time that was for them. But yet, after they sin, after they've rebelled against Him, instead of walking with God in the garden, they're hiding from Him. They're trying to, to, for Him to not know what they've done. But none of us can hide from God what we've done. He is all-knowing. He knows our innermost thoughts. I was listening to, to something even on my way into work today, and it talked about how Las Vegas is trying to open back up. But with COVID-19 concerns, they're trying to be careful about it. But even one of their, their key marquees at one of their hotels and casinos, it said, have Keep your thoughts dirty and your hands clean. That's what the marquee said. Keep your thoughts dirty and your hands clean. That is a bad understanding of what sin is. Of course, it's sin city, so it makes sense for them. But God sees our thoughts, our most private thoughts, the things that we don't think anybody else will know. They are public to our God and our King and our Savior. And he knows every thought that we've ever had. And there's no change in the privacy settings. He is always going to know. And so we as believers, we can't hide. We can't let sin drive us away from God. No, that is the bad option. That is the poor option. But what we need is for our sin that we commit to go to God in prayer. When we have committed sin, it is time for us to confess that sin. It is time to lay ourselves bare before Him, to pour ourselves out and just admit it. He already knows the sin that we've committed. And so why not lay it down at the altar at His feet? 
And that is what Micah does here. One, he admits his need for a savior. He admits his need, he admits his need for a savior. But as for me, this is verse seven in Micah chapter seven. But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Praise the Lord that we serve a God who hears us. Praise the Lord even more that we have Jesus Christ as our advocate. It's telling us here in verse 7 that he is waiting for the God of his salvation. That God has come to earth in human flesh in the name of Jesus. If you flip over to 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through chapter 2, verse 2, and I know Pastor Wade has been diving into 1 John over the last few weeks and now into 2 John, moving on to 3rd this coming week. But it's so pivotal right here when it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We don't have to wait for the God of our salvation because He has been made clear to us. We confess our sins. We ask Him to be Lord and Savior of our life. And He is the one who goes before God the Father on our behalf so that we can have eternal life with Him. We have no other advocate. We have no other way. But God has made the way for us. As we continue the chapter. This is what it says. Verse 8. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication." Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her, now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls, and that day the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, and from Egypt to the river, from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants, for the fruit of their deeds. You see, Micah is very, very clear that he is bearing the guilt of his sin. He's confessing that sin to God at this point. Verse 9 is where we were. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. You see, this is true repentance. This is true grieving over our sin. It's not, Micah hasn't been caught. Micah is not coming before just because he's scared of the consequences of what that means to him. But instead, he is grieving because he has sinned and rebelled against a holy and righteous God who is there to save him and to enter into a relationship with him. 
He's confessing that sin, laying himself bare before God because he knows his own heart and he knows his own actions. Think about Psalm chapter 130, verses 3 and 4, where it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We're going to get into the praises in just a minute, but as I read that, does it not just make your heart flutter to realize that this is the Lord of forgiveness? That as we confess our sin, that theme is really the theme of all of Micah, that if we confess our sin, that forgiveness is available for us. That we can trust in Him and that He cares for us and He loves us enough to pay the price for our sins. So Micah comes confessing his sin. But once he realizes the forgiveness that he has, the salvation that he has, as you look on in the verses that we read, he also shares the grace that he has received. We have been given an incredible gift. Don't keep that gift to yourself. He's using the imagery here, a day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day, they will come to you. You see, the imagery that he's using there is talking about a day where all people, it's it's the living out of Acts, where all people are coming to worship the Lord. They realize that his kingdom, God's kingdom is expanding and it's going to expand long past Jerusalem. It's going to expand long past Judea. It's going to expand long past Samaria. And it's going to expand all the way to the ends of the earth because people who have been forgiven of much are going to share that grace, share that love with others as well. So quickly, when we realize the grace that we've been given, we want to show that grace to others and we want to tell others about the source of that grace for us as well. And that is what he is doing. A day for the building of your walls. It's the building of the heavenly city. And we see that with the church in the book of Acts, where people from all these different nations have come together The disciples there are speaking in their languages and God does an incredible work where 3,000 people are added to their number that day. If we as believers have been recipients of that grace, help us to have the desire to tell others about the source of that grace. So he's admitted his need for someone to save him. He confesses his sin. He shares the grace that he has received And then he goes on and he asks God to lead him, to guide him, to be his protector in the beautiful imagery of to be his shepherd. Look at verses 14 and 15. Shepherd your people. This is a prayer. This is we've come out of the lament now. We've come into teaching. Now he's back to praying to God. This is what he says. Shepherd your people with your staff the flock of your inheritance, who dwell alone in a forest in the midst of a garden land. Let them graze in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old, as in the days when you came out of the land of Egypt. I will show them marvelous things. The nations shall see and be ashamed of all their might. They shall lay their hands on their mouths. Their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like a serpent, like the crawling things of the earth. 
They shall come trembling out of their strongholds. They shall turn in dread to the Lord our God, and they shall be in fear of you. You see, as he prays in verse 14, he prays for God to shepherd his people. The shepherd throughout the Old Testament is the picture of the ideal king, the king who is compassionate, the king who cares for his people, the king who protects his people, and the king who just meets every need of his people. We've talked about this a few weeks ago of the beauty of that picture of the shepherd and looked at Psalm 23, one of the most famous psalms that the Lord is my shepherd. And that is what Micah is envisioning here. He's asking him to walk with the people with his staff and to allow them to graze in these fertile grounds for them to see flourishing again and to, to understand that he is their king. Such a beautiful picture here that Micah is calling the people to submit to their shepherd, to trust him, to know that he is working for their good. And so they should obey, obey him and all that he has for them. I'm always fascinated how a book of the Bible ends. I, I, I love to to think about the Great Commission at the end of Matthew where he sends the, the, the disciples out. Well, here, I think, is one of the most incredible endings of a book of the Bible. Because as you finish seven, you know, so much of Micah has been judgment and hope and, and, and there's sin that we've talked about before and a call to repentance and there, there's the threat of Assyria and the threat of Babylon. There's all these things that have taken place in the book of Micah. But as Micah is wrapping up, there is an incredible time of praise for who God is. And that is how he finishes this prayer. That's how he finishes this book of the Bible as well. This is what he says. Who is, like, who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins, all of our sins, into the depths of the sea. You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. Micah concludes this book, the, this book that has threats of judgment, threats of, of conquest, all of these things that have had so much anxiety, concern, uh, challenges for the people, but he ends it pointing to the character and the promises of God and just praising Him for who He is because who is like our God? Who is like Him? There is no other God who compares. There is no other God who is compassionate. There's no other God who is um, forgiving. They, the other gods of other religions, it's do this, do this, do this, do this, to, in order to gain their favor. But yet, our God gives us forgiveness. Our God does not stay anger, but instead shows faithfulness and steadfast love and compassion and grace and mercy. And he calls us out of our sin 
But he's not an angry and vengeful God. Instead, he is a God who is clothed in steadfast love. That he cares for his people. Read a story a while back about Corey Ten Boom. Corey Ten Boom was a, um, a prisoner during the Holocaust. She actually stayed in Ravensbrück uh, concentration camp and Years after she had gotten out of prison, out of the concentration camps and, and the war was over, a guard from that camp came to her. You see, that guard had, had come to know Christ as his Lord and Savior and had asked Christ to forgive him for those heinous sins. But he also wanted to ask Corey Ten Boom for her forgiveness. They had this moment where he comes and he speaks to her and her response was this. This is the way she wrote it out. She says, I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realized it was not my love. I had tried and I did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, our God is an incredible God of forgiveness. There is freedom for us in our forgiveness of sin. He, Micah here, his praise is centering around our sin, right? You look through verse 18. He's pardoning iniquity, transgression. Verse 19, it goes on to talk about our iniquities again and our sins. That generic word for sins there. Those are what we're bringing to this equation. We have our iniquity, which is our guilt, our shame. We have our transgressions, which is our rebellion against God. We have our sins, which is just our wickedness. But as you see those lined up on this side of the chart, of what we're bringing to this equation, on the other side of the chart, you're seeing what God is bringing. That He is the one who pardons. He's the one who's paying the price for our sin. He is passing over the transgression. When you hear that, I just automatically think of the Passover lamb uh, as they're about to exit out of Egypt and how he provided the Passover lamb for them to protect them. He's the one who's delighting in steadfast love and showing compassion. What an amazing God we serve. Who is like our God? When we realize how much we've been forgiven, we can't help but praise the Lord. When we realize the, the amount of sin in our life, we can't help but praise God for the incredible love that He shows us when we don't deserve it whatsoever. That even though we're great sinners, His mercy is more. Even though the darkness is dark, His light breaks through and sets us free. I, I love the way it continues on in verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will stomp our iniquities. He will push them into the ground, burying them in the dirt. Your sin is no more. Because he has canceled the power and the penalty 
of sin for those who put their trust in Him. That's an important part. Verse 18 tells us it is for the remnant of His inheritance. You have to just come to the Lord. He's drawing you now. Confess your sin. Admit that you need Him as your Lord and Savior. Do that today. And He stomps your sin into the dirt. Just like in Genesis chapter 3, it talks about how the serpent is going to be stomped. He will step on the serpent's head. Just like in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, as the, the children's song says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan. Yes, God will crush him underneath his feet. And that is where our sin will be. Not only is it going to be stomped and trampled on and tread on underfoot, but our sin will also be cast into the depths of the sea. As far away as possible, and so we as believers have got to stop trying to fish up the sins of our past. We have been forgiven. We have been, um, it has been cast out into the sea. And so praise God for the forgiveness that we've experienced. That it is as far away as the east is from the west. Don't continue to beat yourself up for the sins of your past because God wants to use you now and for the future. Confess that sin to Him and leave it there at the altar, not to be picked up again. As the people of Judah would hear the, this description of God, they can't help but think about the Day of Atonement. It's so important to think about it in the context of it. The Day of Atonement where sin is placed on one goat. This is from Leviticus 16, where one goat is sacrificed for the, the sins of Israel. And, and then another goat, they put their hands on it to, to convey the sins onto that goat. And then they cast the goat out. It's the propitiation and the expiation of our sin. But we don't have a goat that does that. Instead, we have Jesus Christ who took on our sin at the cross and has taken that sin away from us, bore it himself, paid the price for it so that we can have a relationship with him. If you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you take care of that right now. That you stop this video, get down on your knees, confess your sin to Him because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one is righteous. That is right here in Micah chapter 6 as well. We all are guilty. There is no one godly. But yet Christ died for us. Christ died so that you can have a relationship with Him. And so don't stay mired in your sin. Don't stay uh, walking that path of destruction. But instead, trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. Walk with Him and watch as He casts your sin into the depths of the sea. If you're a believer, praise God. Take time today just thinking about the sin that He's forgiven you for and praise Him for that because His grace is amazing. My point today 
is that we are to confess our sins to the Lord and rejoice that He is a King who forgives. Such a beautiful picture of that here in Micah chapter 7. To end our study of Micah, uh, I just want to share one quote from Martin Luther, the great uh, reformer. He says this, Though great our sins and sore our wounds and deep and dark our fall, His helping mercy hath no bounds, His love surpassing all. Our trusty living shepherd, He who shall at last set Israel free from all their sin and sorrow. So be set free today. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because you are a God who is compassionate, who is forgiving, and there is no God like you. You are an amazing God who pours out his love on us even when we don't deserve it. So Father, I pray that if anyone watches this video who doesn't know you, Lord, that they will reach out to us, allow us to walk them through your plan of salvation, Lord, that, that you will just continue to work in the hearts of the people who see this video. And Lord, I pray that you continue to work in, in all of our hearts, that if we know you, we'll praise you, for the incredible God that you are. So Lord, thank you for being a God of mercy and that your mercy is more than any sin, iniquity, transgression that we could possibly bring to that equation. You are so good. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You know, I like to leave you with a few questions, and I know this is a heavy topic as we talk about sin, but to confess sin allows us to, to overcome it. And so we want to be able to trust other people, have that accountability with people. But my first question, and it goes back to what we've been talking about, have you asked Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life? That's the first step. That is the, the only way to, to get the punishment of sin paid for. So have you done that? What does that look like in your life? The second question that I have is, is there something, a sin in your life, a, a transgression that you need to confess? And are there relationships that need to be restored because of the decisions that you've made in your past? Seek to make those things right today. Don't don't think that it's just going to magically happen and that it's not going to be hard. But is there a relationship and, and a sin that you need to confess? And then my final question is this. When was the last time you praised God for his forgiveness? He is the God who is pardoning iniquity, passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. I praise God that he's not retaining his anger for forever that he's showing us and he delights in his steadfast love. So praise him. Find a, a song, a hymn, whether new or old, that just allows your heart to rejoice in the forgiveness of sins that we have through Christ Jesus our Lord. Hope you've enjoyed our study of the book of Micah and I hope that you are greatly encouraged that we have a God of incredible mercy.